Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. And we have a very exciting episode of the show for you today. Joining us on the other side of the mic, a very special guest, a prominent figure who's been shaping the trajectory of digital payments and financial technology over, we'll say over a decade. Our guest is David Marcus, former president of PayPal and head of Messenger and Novi at Facebook, now Meta. And he's here to talk about everything that we've been covering and following at the block. We're going to be exploring his new exciting venture. Well, not so new anymore. I mean, we've been doing this for over a year now. LightSpark, which is on a mission to explore, build, and extend the capabilities and utility of Bitcoin. But before we dive in, I want to take, as always, a moment to thank our sponsors, one of which, funny enough, is PayPal. Do more with your crypto. Whether you're a crypto expert or a newcomer to the world of digital currencies, PayPal provides a secure and convenient platform for your crypto transactions. Start exploring new Web3 applications with peace of mind, knowing that PayPal has your back. Learn more and get started today at paypal.com crypto. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored in part by CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. With CleanSpark, you can feel good about investing in the Bitcoin ecosystem because CleanSpark uses low-carbon energy for their Bitcoin mining data centers and is always optimizing their operations to increase energy efficiency and reduce e-waste, all while partnering with the communities they operate in. If you want to support the future of Bitcoin while also supporting the environment, visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more about the CleanSpark way. Okay, David Marcus, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. How have you been? Good, good. Thanks for having me. No worries. So maybe we can do a little uh, background. You can walk us through uh, your journey, how you sort of uh, – how did you sort of find Bitcoin and, and then maybe give the abridged uh, history that brings us to uh, today? Yes. So – uh, I was actually still doing my mobile payments uh, startup called Zong at the time in 2009, late 2009, when I first stumbled uh, upon Bitcoin and read the white paper and tried to play with it, but it was so cumbersome, even for a geek like me, uh, I just couldn't get it. So I kind of put it aside, brushed it aside, and then uh, came back to it in 2012. Uh, when a good friend of mine, who's uh, often referred to as uh, patient zero in Silicon Valley for Bitcoin, Wences Cazares, uh, basically started uh, telling me more about it and, uh, and telling me, you have to actually spend time and understand this thing. And, uh, and so I did. And, uh, and then I, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. Uh, I, I just couldn't stop thinking about this idea that you could actually uh, be your own self-sovereign for digital value and you could move it around without any intermediary in between. Uh, and one of the things that, um, that Wences did that I repeated was actually uh, getting people uh, wallets and sending them money, uh, you know, small, small amounts of Bitcoin at the time, 
um, at the time it was like actually full uh, full uh, bitcoins, like you know not not a fraction of a bitcoin because uh, it was really cheap and. Um, and and you know it was the way that I really got into it. And then in 2013 at PayPal, that's after Zong got acquired by PayPal, and I was running it. And I remember that Argentina asked us to actually stop uh, the flow of uh, money going out of the country from PayPal accounts located in Argentina. And I remember us having to comply because we were a regulated entity and seeing the price of Bitcoin uh, rise uh, just the same day. And, uh, and it was really clear that a lot of Argentines at the time were actually moving their funds into Bitcoin so that they would have control over their hard-earned money. It's it's funny that you sh that part of your Bitcoin story uh, is tied to Argentina. That's something that you share with uh, Brian Armstrong of Coinbase. I don't know if you know that, but that's how that's yeah. sort of when he discovered it, or from where he discovered it, in a sense, or where the movement of it became or resonated with him. So, Lightspark, sort of extending or expanding the capabilities and utility of Bitcoin Lightning. Um, a lot of people would probably say that Lightning has not lived up to its full potential. I think you would say that's because it's missing some key tools that can make it less cumbersome to use. So how have you folks been doing that? And maybe walk us through that that mission. Sure. I mean, that actually, those words, that mission uh, was is, is slightly outdated. It was basically used when we were trying to actively not say what we were doing. Uh, what we're trying to do is actually to enable an open, interoperable, cheap payment protocol for the internet. And uh, the way that I think about this is that, you know, if you think about email and the way that uh, different email platforms interoperate, they have SMTP, and that enables you to send an email from Gmail to Yahoo or to theblock.com or whatever it is that you, you want to, to send to. Um, and we don't have that for money. Basically, uh, you can't send money between Venmo and Cash App, or Cash App and Revolut, uh, or you know Revolut and Wise. I mean, you know, all of these platforms that are really good uh, within their own borders, but uh, that don't allow you to move money around in a seamless way. And uh, and you know, to some extent, that's what we tried to do with Libra and DM back in the day at Meta is to really enable an interoperable, open, dirt cheap uh, protocol that settles money in real time on the internet. And, uh, and we just grew more and more convinced and built the conviction that Bitcoin was the actual only blockchain uh, that could support an open payment protocol for money on the internet, an, an open payment protocol on the internet. And, um, and so we looked at Lightning, and we actually, um, interestingly enough, looked at Lightning in the early days of 2018 when we started the Libra journey uh, as a potential way of doing that. Uh, but it was premature and not ready for prime time. And then we took another look in uh, 2022, last year, when we started Lightspark, and we figured out that actually the protocol was sound and that uh, it just needed to be more usable and we needed to abstract all of the complexity from what is a channel-based payment system, which is very unintuitive for people. The idea that you need to lock up liquidity in a channel with another peer, another node on the network, 
to receive payments. And every time a payment transits through that channel, you basically have an unbalanced channel. You need to rebalance from other liquidity from other channels and do that at scale. That's like very unintuitive. So we decided that we needed to build a, a, a platform that enabled an enterprise uh, type of company to use Lightning in a seamless way. And, and just as they would use any other high-performance payment network or blockchain. And that's what we did with the first version of LightSpark that basically has three components. LightSpark Connect, which is the enterprise-grade node management software. LightSpark Predict, which is kind of interesting because it, it ties a lot of the AI predictive capabilities um, of trying to have a map of the entire network and where the liquidity is and trying to predict ahead of time whether a transaction would actually succeed with a given route, and if not, split the transaction in smaller bits and reassemble it on the other side and deploy liquidity dynamically on the network in such a way that uh, you know, when you send up or receive a payment on the network using LightSpark, it always works. Uh, so that's basically what we've built. And then a series of SDKs so that people can build uh, Lightning experiences inside of their apps. Um, and, um, and a wallet SDK that enables non-custodial wallets to actually build a really great Lightning experience with offline receive. Uh, so all of these things are the, the, the first version of the product that we deployed about six weeks ago. And who's who are some of the early users of of the product, and how are they sort of integrating it into their into their existing business? Yeah, so it's basically all of the exchanges out there uh, that either uh, didn't have a Lightning implementation for all of the reasons that we just discussed around the complexity of not only integrating Lightning but also managing your node. Uh, and also wallet operators. Uh, and you know we also uh, inherit a bunch of uh, exchanges and, and wallet operators that had Lightning, but were frustrated with the amount of work that was required to rebalance channels daily, uh, the, the, the low success rate of uh, larger transactions. Um, and so since we actually addressed all of these problems, we're kind of you know getting a lot of uh, a lot of exchanges and um, and and wallets that uh, had implemented lightning either on their own or, or with competing products. And how much time does this save them? I mean, we talked about it when you rolled out the SDK um, uh, a month or so ago. This is, I mean, the, the process is is insanely cumbersome. I mean, you're tr basically trying to balance liquidity, and it's kind of it's an iterative thing where you, you try, you, you maybe fail, you have to try again. How much time are we saving? I mean, it's, it's more like, you know, this is, you know, for the most part, a full-time job if you manage your own node. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we do that automatically, but not only do we do that automatically in terms of saving operational cycles, we also make sure that we uh, make really good use of the liquidity that's on the network uh, so that it doesn't sit idle, that it basically has high velocity because you want that liquidity that's actually locked up on the network to facilitate as many transactions as possible. And so you never want it to be dormant. Um, my, one of my co-founders here, Christian Catalini, describes it a little bit like a, a transportation 
uh, thing with Uber, with drivers basically sitting idle, and uh, and you have to get them to, in the right place at the right time where passengers are going to be, so they can actually transport those passengers from point A to point B. It's a little bit like that for for channels on 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 the Lightning Network. But the reality is, no one should ever learn about this, right? It's like you know, right now, if you want to spin up a website, it's not like you're thinking about BGP routing tables on your router. And so the same applies to a solid payment network built on top of Lightning. You want to abstract all of that complexity away from platforms that are going to build really great real-time payments experiences in, in their apps. So when we spoke um, most recently, you kept bringing up the uh, regulatory uh, angle uh, for why Lightning and Bitcoin are going to be maybe the only viable route to a sort of future of money that is as, you know, as quick, as um, inoperable as the internet, and most options can't really match that because of the regulatory uh, question, which has really unfolded in earnest these past few days or few weeks. Um, so, in a sense, you're right, just a little bit, I guess. What about yeah, sometimes? Sometimes we all have our moments, like they say. You know, <laughs> a broken clock's right at least twice a day. What What do you think about? You know, if you were to sort of look at the other options, different blockchains, but also stable coins. Why is Bitcoin still, um, in your view, um, taking that top slot? Well, I, there are several reasons for that, and and. I just want to state that I feel like it's a shame that we're in this uh, current state of uncertainty from a regulatory standpoint as a country. I think that's a separate separate topic. Uh, but I think you know the reason Bitcoin is so special is because uh, first of all, it is the only asset out there that has been clearly uh, defined as not a security by the SEC in the U.S. Um, and I think the reason for that, uh, and that's not the only attribute that it has, but the reason for that is actually that it, it is maximally decentralized when you compare it to everything else. There's no known leader of Bitcoin. I mean, Satoshi Nakamoto, no one know who uh, he, she, they are. Um, there's maximal decentralization through proof of work, uh, which is more decentralized than proof of stake. Um, and uh, and you know the, the the history of the asset and the block and its blockchain uh, is is unique. So you can't recreate what what Bitcoin is uh, in terms of the history and the the decade long process to get it to where it is today. And that's why you see that you know regulated financial institutions like fidelity are doing you know bitcoin denominated 409as that you see bank of new york mellon which is the bank of banks um, trying to do more bitcoin custody services you see really large mainstream regulated entities adopting bitcoin and nothing else because of that clarity and the fact that you have maximal decentralization mm -hmm. so it's and, a mix and, of yeah it's a mix of maximum decentralization and regulatory clarity. That's right. And, uh, and I think that the, when it comes to money, Bitcoin really is the thing 
And, um, and, you know, it's a combination of Bitcoin being a, a great digital store of value and then Lightning being a, a really, really great payment network on top of it. I think for everything else, you need other things, right? You need other types of decentralized applications that don't have to do about money, but to have to do about all kinds of other things. And, um, and for that, we need regulatory clarity. Otherwise, we'll just, uh, as a country, not make as much progress as we should uh, on something that is going to be critical for, uh, for the world, frankly. So going back to your experience at PayPal, you obviously have a very astute, keen understanding of what merchants want in sort of um, in sort of their their payment solutions, um, whether that be software or hardware. When you're engaging with maybe some large merchants in in your current capacity, um, how far are they in this adoption uh, cycle? And when you juxtapose maybe leveraging Lightning and Bitcoin payment solutions with their existing alternatives, whether that be, you know, different sort of POS systems or or different modes of payment, whether it be cash or credit card. Um, how, where are they in the adoption cycle and how do they see that cost or benefit analysis play out? Well, you know, I mean, my view is basically that when you are trying to build uh, a new payment system or a new payment modality, you actually have to go after use cases that are uh, hard or impossible to perform on the existing stack. Uh, so, you know, back, back in my time with Zong, it was mobile payments uh, on social gaming where the friction involved with you typing the 16 digits of your credit card, expiration date, etc., when you were buying a virtual cow on a virtual farm wasn't actually conducive to high conversion rates. Uh, in this case, it's really uh, global payments. So moving money across borders is really complicated and costly. Um, it also requires you to be on either the same stack on both sides uh, or use cash out points uh, that are fraught with all kinds of issues when you need to pay out to a large number of people. Um, so that's one use case. The other use case that we're intrigued by uh, are actually micropayments and microtransactions that have been overhyped for over a decade and has never happened because the actual cost of moving very small amounts of money on the internet today uh, actually exceeds the, the amount that you're trying to transact on the current rails. And then the lack of interoperability is also a problem because uh, you're because you know the, the combination of lack of interoperability between wallets and the cost of transactions forces you as a consumer to commit to loading or preloading a wallet that is captive of one publication or one outlet, and then spend that balance in small increments, which no one it, wants it, to it's do. It's getting to the point of making money streamable in a sense. Yeah, exactly. And we we actually have a streaming money demo on our website that uh, involves uh, you having a, a simple Chrome browser uh, extension that is a non-custodial wallet on top of Lightning. And it shows how you can stream very tiny amounts of money in real time to a creator wallet that could be anywhere in the world. And, um, and that's one of the, the future applications of what could you build if money moved on the internet the same way that every other bit and byte you know, moves on the internet? 
does that sort of chip away at the thesis or bull case for some of these social web three platforms where they you know kind of outline a model where they have a token and that token is what incentivizes folks to participate in the network engaging with the content if you could just use bitcoin for that does that maybe render the the former uh somewhat i mean maybe irrelevant. but you know uh, the reality is you always need to be concerned with things that are big and important. So, you know, that have scale. You know, none of these things have mainstream scale today. And uh, and when you think about other applications that are not at scale but are interesting, if you look at what's happening with Noster, for instance, which is this sort of decentralized Twitter clone, for the lack of a better uh, term, and uh, and you know people basically send zaps, which are small amounts of satoshis, which are fractions of bitcoins in real time on the Lightning Network for posts. And uh, and if you look at the number of transactions a day and the engagement you have on the platform, you can really see a flywheel that is very small today, very early days. But you can see the behavior of people really sending and receiving small increments of money uh, in real time on the internet. And and what that does to a platform. And I think that's actually really encouraging as a little microcosm uh, uh, sample, um, but, um, but we think it's, it's really promising that you, know, you can send or receive very small amounts of money globally, uh, regardless of where you are. Attention crypto holders. Moving crypto is seamless and secure with PayPal. With support for Bitcoin, ETH, and more, you can buy, sell, hold, send, and check out with crypto at millions of shops online. Not to mention, PayPal now supports the ability to send to and from external wallets and charges you nothing when transferring between PayPal and Venmo crypto wallets. Whether you're exploring the world of Web3 or hodling on for another day, PayPal is the convenient and simple way to convert dollars into crypto. PayPal has your back. They work to protect your financial info and give you confidence every step of your crypto journey. Now's the time to make your crypto move. Get started today at paypal.com slash crypto terms and conditions apply. Here's a message from our sponsor, CleanSpark. CleanSpark is a NASDAQ-listed company that mines Bitcoin. Basically, they build and operate data centers with tens of thousands of computers that help secure Bitcoin, making it more reliable and secure for anybody, anywhere to use. These computers require a lot of energy, but that's why CleanSpark predominantly uses low-carbon energy to power their machines. But that's not all. They care about the communities where their data centers are located. They create jobs, donate to schools and community centers, and revitalize aging electricity grids in rural parts of America. They aren't just a Bitcoin miner. They're one of the most efficient and sustainable Bitcoin miners in America. Visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more. So maybe you can take some, some time now to walk us through this partnership with Zappo Bank. How does it sort of um, fit into the broader mission and what should our listeners expect in the coming uh, months? Well, Xapo was our first client. They were one of our early beta testers on the, the early version of the platform that we started exposing to close partners last November. 
And, uh, and that's when we realized we actually needed to do a lot more work to make it even simpler to use Lightning. And we abstracted channels and peers and liquidity and all of these things from the next version that you know, we shipped a, a few weeks ago. Um, and so Zappo was meaningful because it is actually the first bank on the Lightning network. And it's a European licensed bank that has customers across Europe. And, um, and that offers dollar-denominated and Bitcoin-denominated balances to their customers. And they uh, just didn't um, enable Lightning until they used our stack. And so we were able to help them uh, offer Lightning transactions that have become a lot more relevant, by the way, to all of these exchanges and wallets out there since Ordinals and BRC20 tokens became a thing on on Bitcoin and clogged up the mempool and and you know took took the fees to new highs, right? So since that happened, there's a, a lot more need for Lightning to enable consumers to move money around in real time at a low cost. And so that, that's the case with Xapo. Uh, since then, we, we also onboarded a number of other exchanges and wallets. One of them, uh, which was really meaningful as well, because uh, it opened up Lightning to a whole region that it didn't reach before, is Rain, um, the, the largest uh, exchange in uh, yeah. the MENA region. And, uh, and so that's great, because uh, you have a, a big population there needing to send money back home um, in all kinds of different regions where uh, transaction fees and cross-border transaction fees are quite high. And, uh, and so having an exchange on the Lightning Network um, does a, a few things really well, which is you know, on-ramp from fiat to uh, Bitcoin and then enables fast global transactions on the Lightning Network on top of Bitcoin. So those things are, are actually really near and dear our hearts here at LightSpark because it, it really helps real people across the world move money in real time at a fraction of the, the alternative, fraction of the cost of the alternative. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely um, exciting. And we're seeing, um, I feel like we're seeing more adoption among different areas of the global south, as it were, um, as the sort of, you know, you see all these different currencies sort of appreciate to astronomical heights. Walk walk me through how maybe there's an opportunity here. And this is what your colleague Christian, when we last spoke, his eyes sort of lit up when I talked about the potential for um, you guys serving a, a market structure purpose in the wake of Cigna and Signature. Um, or if you held a gun to my head, David, and asked me which ones was which, I'd, you know, it would not be a pretty <laughs> scenario. Silvergate was Sen, Signature was Signet. With That's them right. sort of out of the picture, and also just a lot of our, our plumbing gone now. Um, can these exchanges, if, 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 if they're sort of moving money around, or some of these large trading firms, or just large market participants, without sort of these pipes, is it, is, is it possible to sort of leverage the Lightning Network as this settlement layer, or this sort of um, connective tissue for crypto's broader capital markets, how could that sort of unfold? So the answer is a resounding yes, um, but not only for crypto firms, for any firm. So the, the, the way that I think about things is basically that a fraction of Bitcoin on top of Lightning is a little bit like a TCP IP packet for value. So if you have a network that is live 24-7, that enables real-time final net settlement, of value between two endpoints, 
then uh, provided that you can get in and out of Bitcoin really quickly, you should be able to settle and net settle between two counterparties in real time, and no matter where they are, uh, no matter what time of the day it is or day of the week it is. And, um, and we think that that's actually a really good application for Lightning uh, on, top of, uh, on, on top of our stack, particularly because we can actually guarantee that even larger payments uh, succeed on Lightning, which in the past has been pretty hard to achieve. And so, you know, th there are a number of parties that are uh, either implementing Lightning on our stack or are thinking about implementing Lightning on our stack to do exactly that. Uh, so in the crypto world, but also outside of the crypto world. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I'm interested sort of in your journey as an entrepreneur. Um, I feel like part of the firm's original um, stealthiness, let's call it, might be tied to the Libra story, which got so much press. I feel like you just wanted to get your head down and build something, find a sort of product that worked and maybe worked with sort of beta users. What, what was it like sort of um, being an entrepreneur in such a very public way, getting grilled by, um, you know, regulators? I was there, I remember, that day in D.C. when you testified before Congress. It was so hot. I sweat through my entire suit. It was one of the hottest days I've ever experienced in Washington. But I'm and you sure... were not in the hot seat. And I was not in the hot seat. It was it was you, and you did a great job. I think I would have been much more frustrated than you. Um, did did that experience then sort of like working so hard, and then have it having it sort of like, you know, basically shut down, for lack mm -hmm. of a better word. Yeah, yeah. Um, walk us through that experience and like what it maybe taught you as just a a as an entrepreneur. Well, look. Um, because most first of the of time, all, when companies fail, it's because people don't like their product. You yeah. didn't even get a chance to get to that point. That's right. I, I think people would have actually quite liked that product. Um, but uh, but look, it was it was actually really worth a shot. And if I could uh, be brought back to that moment and do it all over again, I would do it all over again. Uh, and, uh, and of course, you know, we, we have lots of learnings and I'm actually, you know, somewhat doing it, uh, uh, you know, in a completely different way now. But, um, but the, the key thing was that it was time, and I think a lot of us had this feeling that it was really time for a real-time payment protocol for the internet. Uh, th this notion that back in the day there was this HTTP 402 protocol uh, that was actually determined as a request payments protocol on the internet and was never implemented um, felt like it was it was about time, right? Uh, and the fact that we were still and we are still now in 2023 moving the vast majority of value around the world on infrastructure that was built in the late 60s and 70s feels inadequate and uh, and and infuriating, frankly. Um, and so it was worth a shot. And, and the approach 
was basically that Facebook reached 3.5 billion people every month. And so as such, if we built something that was really good, then maybe because of the distribution and the fact that we would adopt it, then other companies would adopt this thing as the standard payment protocol for, uh, for payments. And, uh, and that part actually worked out quite well. We had a number of 28 companies join the Libra Association. Um, and um, and the, the problem was that we tried to keep this thing under wraps for as long as possible. But then there were rumors left and right, and all mm -hmm. of the rumors were actually a lot worse than what we were actually doing. And so at some point, we we're like, okay, we just need to share our white paper, which is just the general idea of what we're trying to do here, and launch our testnet. I know. They and, called it one of the original uh, names or one of the rumored names was WorldCoin, I think it was. So there, there's actually <laughs> there's actually a funny story uh, that I'm not sure I've shared before on this. Uh, this name was actually coined by Mark Carney, who was the the governor of the Bank of England at the time, and he was trying to describe what we were trying to do. Uh, he was actually a proponent of this, uh, one of the the few large country central bankers who really believed in the value of this. Um, and uh, and he was like, oh, this is and and that was before we named it. And he was like, oh, you should call this thing Worldcoin. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and for some reason, then you know, he 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 or some other people are in his sphere of influence probably shared that uh, that that brand or that and name with someone. Worldcoin. Yeah, and then it became a, a whole meme, and we felt like it was time for us to talk about it, and so. You know, Facebook is kind of interesting also, or Meta now, but um, in a way that it, it tries to build products in the open. And that's part of the culture of the company, to be not as secretive as other tech companies when it builds products. And, uh, and we wanted to do it in the open. We wanted to get feedback, and boy, did we get feedback. Uh, <laughs> we got a lot of feedback really early on. And um, and I think you know I feel like when you're building these types of products and services, if you have the opportunity to actually go build something of value that solves uh, real world problems, and go demonstrate that it solves real world problems rather than talk about it, then it's always better. Uh, it's just that there was just so much exposure, uh, so much swirl and 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 rumors. That we had to just talk about it and start get getting feedback, and uh, and that's what we did. And you know, it just uh, turns out it was uh, the the wrong place to do this uh, from. Uh, and you know, the, the the reality is that with with years between the time we started the project and the the moment we actually announced it. Uh, you know, Facebook's reputation was under a lot of fire at the time. I think it's much better now, actually, but it uh, it was under a lot of uh, lot of scrutiny, a lot of fire, a lot of lots of distrust, and it made it uh, really hard for us to breach into financial services and payments. Basically, at what point did you, or did it become apparent that it was an untenable? There was no path forward. Rather, well, the summer of twenty one was actually. Uh, really, really the end of the road because, um, you know, there was, you know, the Fed and, and Treasury basically decided that, you know, they weren't comfortable. That was kind of the way to, because there, there's, there was no legal basis to actually say you can't do this, right? So we were fully 
you know, regulated as a wallet. The network itself was operating within the bounds of the the regulatory frameworks in the mm. U.S. So there was no regulatory reason for it, um, but it was actually uh, the 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 we're not comfortable. Uh, and when you're saying we're not comfortable as a prudential regulator of banks to the banks that are providing the on and off ramp to a network, then, you know, that's it. And uh, we tried our best, really, to try to address all of the legitimate concerns. Uh, there were legitimate concerns and, you know, not so legitimate concerns. But the legitimate concerns, I feel really comfortable that we addressed every last one of them. And, um, and you know, it was just a political uh, a political setup that just wasn't conducive to us moving forward. And so in, in June, I think late June of 21, it became really clear that this was not going to ship. And so, you know, it well, was time. I think, I think a lot of people listening are, are probably thinking, who's to say or what's not to say that something like that couldn't happen to any uh, company building in in crypto, let's say Bitcoin scales to 3.5 billion people, uh, is it a potential that maybe not Treasury, but some different, some organization, some out the bet soup agency might might become uncomfortable with? I don't know the block or 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 LightSpark, probably more so LightSpark than yeah. I mean, look, I think. I, I think um, honestly, uh, I feel like you know building on top of open protocols is actually a, a really good thing, uh, generally speaking. Because I mean, it's not like you have a central organization that controls the protocol, and um, and as such, like you know, single-handedly uh, shutting down a company's building on top of a network is not going to end the network. So I think that's a good thing to build on top, like the internet, right? It's like stopping the internet today would be would be hard. Um, but I think it's beyond that. I think the, the the real question is actually if you have real decentralization and you have a number of companies that are building on top of a protocol that solves real world problems, reduces costs of payments and transactions for people all around the world, enables them to send money around the world and get paid much faster. I mean, that's the thing that really was hard for me. Uh, it was not failing at launching Libra or DM, if you prefer to call it that, but it was um, it was the fact that we talked to so many people around the world and even in the U.S. that really badly needed this. And um, and in the U.S., I remember talking to a, a number of, of families um, because you have uh, almost 10 million households in the U.S., that are, or at the time, that were unbanked. And I was like, this is really interesting because are these people eligible for bank accounts? And at the time, we talked to them and they were totally eligible for bank accounts, but they just didn't want the uh, unexpected fees to be debited from their bank accounts at the time they might need their money the most. And so they preferred actually cashing checks and paying 10% to uh, a um, payday lending location to actually get their cash out uh, and to live in a cash economy because of that. Uh, and then a lot of these people actually had to send money back home. So they paid 10% to cash a check from their legal hard-earned labor. And then they took that money, that cash, to a, a cash-in location to send money across the world that would then you know, cost them another 10, 15, 20% 
arrive there three days later. And then on the other side of the world, people would get mugged when they get the cash mm -hmm. out because cash out locations are, are kind of uh, popular locations for criminals to go extort people and take their money. So you think about this and we're in 2023, nothing has changed, you know, from that yeah. standpoint. And, uh, and if you could send money on the internet, the same way you send an email, uh, and if you could have sound digital um, value on top of that network, uh, then all of these problems are solved. So, so that's what get a, gets us going, right? It's like you know, trying to solve that underlying infrastructure problem, modernize our rails so that everyone can actually benefit from digital payments the way it should actually work in the world today. So what should we expect? What are you most excited about over the next six months that will manifest that, that vision into something tangible? Well, I think, you know, the, the first thing is, you know, for us right now, it's really infrastructure work. It's really building the capabilities that will enable any enterprise out there to access a real-time, super low-cost settlement network for the internet that's interoperable, that's open, that any developer can build on. And, uh, and I think, you know, the, the, what we did is we made it really usable, basically. And, um, and I think that you're going to see more adoption. You need more exchanges to be on the network so they can actually move not only Bitcoin, but be uh, good on and off ramps for that network, the Lightning network. You need wallets to be on the network. So that's what we're focused on right now is really enabling both custodial and non-custodial endpoints to send and receive uh, payments on the Lightning network in a reliable way uh, and in a way that doesn't require a huge operational burden. So, you know, that's the focus right now. And then what we aim to go to from here is actually enable transactions in all kinds of different currencies. Uh, you just, just looking at the Lightning Network as a settlement network and um, Bitcoin as a settlement asset that you can actually convert into and out of really easily uh, because you know if your transaction takes less than a second to clear, the volatility of that settlement asset on the network for just that split second is not that costly to manage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So expanding the sort of currencies that that you're sort of dealing with is is one priority. Yeah, and and we don't have to be the ones actually providing that service. There are plenty of players mm -hmm. out there, exchanges, OTC players, market makers that can actually perform that function in various different forms in their own vertical industries. That's the beauty of an open network. I, I that's one of the things that actually feels really great, um, which is to build with. Uh, within a community of other builders that are building all kinds of different things that are basically an accelerant to each other. Mm -hmm. um, I was at the Bitcoin Miami conference a few weeks ago, and it was really great to see how uh, people are ideologically motivated. Um, not everyone for the right reasons, but a good chunk of the people there, builders, 
because they want to offer a be better alternative and are building different types of solutions like, you know, podcasting, streaming, um, streaming money to podcasters on in one case or uh, building a, a digital wallet for a specific region or building a new phone with a wallet for another region that would be on Lightning. It's, a, it's like really great to be building amongst other builders that are basically building things that are accelerating each other. It's, it's, uh, it's a great feeling. People are building in the bear. They're yeah. building in the bear. Yep, they okay. are. They definitely a few, are. A few rapid fires. I know I'm, I'm taking up probably more time than I should have. Oh, good. Um, but we've got a few questions here. Go for it. What is the most underrated crypto project or trend that people aren't paying enough attention to? I mean, underrated is probably LightSpark, I'll say, self. Uh, uh, but, but, but it's good. I like it this way. It's good. Uh, I like underrated and Why then you think uh, it's surprise underrated. on the upside. It's good. No, Just I mean, look, I feel like an open real-time... Infrastructure, right? I mean, infrastructure is never going to be as uh, sexy as, as something more consumer-facing, I guess. No, that's true. I think, you know, when you think about AI and what's going on there, it's also infrastructure. But I think uh, I think OpenAI did a pretty good job at yeah, but bringing I can't the ask, whole thing I home. Can't, I can't message David Marcus and have him, like, send me five, you know, uh, recipes based off what's in my fridge. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, that is true. Um, but, yeah, I think the, the, the general idea of, you know, what is going to be possible with an open, almost free payment network on the internet um, is uh, is definitely underrated and I think uh, I think you know in the next decade the 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 infrastructure moving value around the world is going to evolve in uh, in a in, in a way that is going to be very meaningful to many people do you think it's just because it's I mean maybe from this might be a skeptical uh, question or, or jaded question but for some people I feel like it's maybe just taking so long like Bitcoin's narrative started as payments 10 years ago, then mm -hmm. store of value, and, and the sort of payments narrative has kind of ebbed and flowed, and, and people haven't really seen it. They're not, again, yeah. what's that timeless mantra? They still can't buy their cup of coffee with, with sats. So. Yeah. Yeah. And um, by the way, I don't think that's a very compelling use case either, because people are fine paying co for coffee with their cards, and they don't see a problem with that. But... Uh, and I think this is funny because it's, it, it's always the example that everyone uses, but it's yeah. the least likely to be disrupted by this. Um, so, you know, I, I think the key here is that when you talk to people uh, in the Bitcoin community, um, they have this wonderful thing, which is this certainty that it's going to play a bigger and bigger role in the world, and we just have to be very patient, and it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so far, they've been right, mostly. Um, but I, th I, I agree with that, but I feel like you also need to do whatever you can and put as much energy and builder's energy and mentality towards actually accelerating that time frame for everyone. And uh, and that's what we really believe in at LightSpark. It's actually this idea that if you bring together the best engineering team in the world and the best people from all disciplines in design, and even though it's an enterprise product, we mm -hmm. pride ourselves in, in the quality of our design, 
uh, and product experience, uh, and you know, economists and and you know, bring together the best people in the world to actually solve the world's biggest problems when it comes to moving value around the internet. Uh, and you know, you put a lot of energy into it, then you can probably bend time a little bit and accelerate the time frame uh, for these things to happen rather than just uh, hoping that it'll happen. Um, and I think that's kind of an interesting thing uh, within the Bitcoin community uh, that is changing because you know now that you don't have all of these tokens that you can issue and 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 make a quick buck uh, out of out of these, people are coming back to building on Bitcoin, which is really exciting. I know. I think I have two Bitcoin episodes this week, which is pretty. Well, there you go. You and Sailor. So how many how many how many Bitcoin episodes uh, did you have uh, last I, year? I think that like it, we we just have these gaps where. At least for our show, where I, I I sit down with the producer and I go, you know, we haven't talked about Bitcoin in in like two months, so let's go find somebody and bring them on. Um, which yeah, which there's is a, just more happening. I think it, there's more happening on Bitcoin in terms of development energy in the last twelve months than in the last X number of years combined. It's uh, it's really pretty amazing to see. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing as well. Okay, one more. Um, if you could do one thing to, well, two more, but the second one's easy. Um, if you could do one thing to improve the crypto space, what would it be? I think I would just remove uh, the the fanatics. It's um, <laughs> I, I feel like you need a little bit more. You know, I, I respect the. The almost religious beliefs that people have in these things, but I think that at times it's actually very counterproductive um, because you need to build things that are compatible with the real world, and for yeah. that you need to not only understand how the real world functions, but also build it in such a way that it will work with the real world. And uh, and I think that being very extreme in views in narrative. Uh, rather than staying factual and grounded and focusing on the work uh, is actually just not good for the industry. I think that you have more serious players now. If you look at you know what Coinbase is doing and you know what Brian Armstrong is doing in terms of just trying to explain things clearly and uh, and fighting the good fight to be properly regulated in the U.S. and driving clarity, I think that's good. Uh, and and you know when you hear people who basically say that the all of all of, all that exists other than you know fill in the blank project that I'm working on is you know needs to burn in the fires yeah. of hell you know that actually just doesn't you know it's it's not great. I feel like most of those people are like you know anons in their basement. Um, but there are some that, that are not. There are some um, very visible ones, too. Yeah, you know? yeah there are. Um, well, hey, thanks so much for taking the time for joining the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. My pleasure as well. And again, we've been joined today by David Marcus, CEO and co-founder of LightSpark. David, thanks so much for joining the program. Thank you. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have a great day.